We're going to go to Matthew, the 21st chapter. We were there last week. How many enjoyed last week's message when we talked about when the king picks a ride, all right? And we talked about that, and uh, believe it or not, we had all kinds of issues and glitches, and Colleen said, well, why don't you just preach that again? Well, nothing ever comes out the same twice. Uh, I don't want to go word for word the things that I preached last week out of this text, uh, but I will go back and recap a few things and highlight a few things. Uh, and then we'll move on into the, the, the final thought for today. So Matthew, the 21st chapter, I'm going to be reading out of the Amplified. I believe our, our gentleman back there in the back, Mr. Jason, can put the words upon the screen for you if you have a different version. Um, I like the Amplified because it gives all the necessary English words to convey the, the Greek message uh, in its entirety. So here we go. Are you ready? All right. Verse 1. And when they came near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples on ahead, saying to them, Go into the village that is opposite you, and at once you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall reply, The Lord needs them. And he will let them go without delay. This happened that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled. Say to the daughter of Zion, inhabitants of Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey, a beast of burden. Verse 6. Then the disciples went and said to Jesus, As the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats upon them, and he seated himself on them. And most of the crowd kept spreading their garments on the road, and others kept cutting branches from trees and scattering them on the road. And the crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed him kept shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! To be, in other words, to mean the son of David, the Messiah. Blessed, praised, glorified is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, oh, be favorably disposed in the highest heaven. And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city became agitated. You ever been agitated? Mm, you ever watched your old washing machine with that old agitator in there? I got one of them new, slick, fancy washing machines. That's the most boring thing to watch. It has no agitation whatsoever in there. I like it. I like something that just gets things stirred up just a little bit. Oh, come on now. If you're a true believer of Jesus Christ, you ought to be causing a riot or a revival wherever you go. That's what Jesus did. Now I done lost my place. What'd y'all do that to me for? That's what I said. I'm on 11. And the crowds replied, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Mm. You know what? I didn't finish 10. I got to back up. And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city be became agitated. Yeah. And trembling with excitement said, who is this? Come on now. 
Wherever you go, don't you want to just walk away and people go, who was that? Come on. And the crowds replied, this is the prophet Jesus from the Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple, the whole temple enclosure, and drove out all who bought and sold in the sacred place. And he turned over the four-footed tables of the money changers and the chairs of those who sold doves. And he said to them, the scripture says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. I, I gave you a little side note on this last week, but I'll, I'll say it again this week. It wasn't because they were doing something wrong in selling in the temple court. That was a common practice. The difference was, was these people were stealing from the people and overpricing things. And, and it's even alluded to that sometimes they would sell you a sacrificial animal and then they would, when you weren't looking, they'd sneak around and put it back in the cage and resell it two or three times. And so this was the kind of thievery that was going on. This is why Jesus methodically, if you read it in other passages, methodically stopped and premeditated what he was about to do because he made a whip and when he went in. Oh. How good would a church be if a pastor just came in with a whip? Come on. <laughs> I was really using great self-control, not saying that. All right. And Jesus went into the temple, the whole temple enclosure, and drove out all who, who bought and sold in the sacred place. And he turned over the four-footed tables of the money changers and the chairs and those who sold doves. And he said to them, The scripture says, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the blind, I love this, he just cleaned house. Sometimes you just need a good house cleaning. Oh, come on. Come on. Y'all look at me like, Oh, no, what's he talking about? Turn to your neighbor and say, are you feeling guilty? Look at this. <laughs> and he said to them, the scripture says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now look what happens. He cleaned out the house, verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the porches and the courts of the temple, and he cured them. Mm-hmm. How many of us could use a good curing in the house of God? I'm not talking about curing bacon and something that's tasty. I'm talking about getting healed of the things that plague you. Come on now. Verse 15, but when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the boys and the girls and the youths and the maidens crying out in the porches and courts of the temple, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of God. David. They were calling him Messiah. They were indignant. Who was indignant? The religious crowd. They were upset because these young people were beginning to cry out, recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. In other words, there was a youth movement kicked off in the church right after the cleansing of the temple. 
And if you want to get something done, you have a youth revival. You get a youth revival, and you can turn a nation upside down. In fact, there's a movie out in the movie house right now about that when the teenagers in the Jesus movement came out of the drug culture and into the church, and they didn't look right, they didn't dress right, they didn't even smell right. But by the time they were done, the house of God had been changed because Jesus came in and drove out the nonsense that was going on in the house and invited the youth in. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? Listen to the religious crowd. And Jesus replied to them, yes. (laughs) You got to love Jesus chutzpah. He goes, yeah, what's wrong with it? They're shouting Messiah, and he's going, yeah, 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 Mm mm-hmm. What he's, really, what he's really doing is pronouncing to them, why don't you recognize it? Oh. They said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus replied to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and unweaned infants you have made and provided or perfected praise? It's out of the mouths of young people that God is excited. God's turned on for us. When the young people get a hold of the fact that they are not separated because of their age in the ability of the house of God, that the giftings of God that are in them are as alive and as well as they are in all of you adults, and God can use them at any time, the only thing they need from us is a little guidance. Oh, my goodness. Whoop, whoop, whoop. All right. Verse 17, after all of this happened, verse 17, and leaving them, he departed from there to the city and went out to Bethany and lodged there. In the early dawn, the next morning, as he was coming back to the city, he was hungry. And as he saw one single leafy fig tree above the roadside, he went to it but found nothing but leaves on it. Now, whenever a fig tree is budding leaves, it is also fruitful at that time. And seeing that in the fig tree that the fruit appears at the same time as the leaves, and he said to it, never again shall fruit grow on you. And the fig tree withered up after many days and months and years. What? It said at once, immediately, he spoke, it happened. Mm. Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking right there? Verse 20, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled greatly and asked, how is it that the fig tree has withered up all away all at once? And Jesus answered them and said, truly I say to you, if you have faith as firm and relying trust and do not doubt, You will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you can say to this mountain, he's speaking of the mountain of Jerusalem where the temple said, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will be done. Most people don't catch what was just happened there. He cursed the fig tree because that represents Israel as a whole, as a nation. 
He cursed it because they, they had turned the message of God. They were supposed to be the nation who evangelized the world. But because they had so turned their religion inward and made it all about them and put, built all kinds of fence laws and became legalistic in their belief system and had stopped making converts but was only making zealots, spiritual zealots, Jesus spoke to their condition after having driven out the heart of what was going on in the temple and the fact that they rejected a true move of God in the temple, when he left that evening, I know that Jesus' heart, it doesn't say it in the canon, but his heart must have been grieved. And when he came back the next day, when he looked at the at fig tree and he realized there was no fruit upon that fig tree, he made a, a proclamation, a prophetic proclamation that never again this fig tree that represents Israel will ever produce fruit again. And the message of Christ has been for the last many centuries carried by the Gentile. That doesn't mean God's done with Israel. Doesn't mean God doesn't love his people. Yes, he does. He's returning to redeem them. But he made a proclamation there. And he looked at the temple and said, this shall. He'd already told the scribes and Pharisees, tear it down. Tear it down. I could rebuild it in three days, talking about himself. But he made clear to his disciples when they were so enamored with the temple. He made it real clear to them, don't get all enamored with this because every stone here will be thrown down. Every stone will be thrown down. Because if you don't follow the heart and the plan of God, God will move on from you. And I don't know about you, but I want to carry his message, his heart, his design, his passion, his purpose all the way to the end. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to cross the finish line. How about you? Amen. So let me get back to this uh, real quickly. Uh, last week, I talked about all the ways that kings travel. I'll make this real, real quick. One of the things that we miss in the canon, and Matthew really has it. Other, other uh, versions only show him singularly riding a donkey, but Matthew has this correct. Matthew has it correct in that he not only called for a, a mature beast of burden, a donkey, he called for a donkey that had a foal with it, a colt. Uh, 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 um, uh, a donkey that's not yet proven, a donkey that's not bridle broke, a donkey that hasn't yet become a beast of burden. It's still young and playful and wild. It's still uh, learning. It's still growing. And a lot of people miss this, that Jesus didn't call just for the mature animal. He called for the younger Animal. He called for the foal. He called for the one that uh, was not uh, broken, that was not ready to be ridden. But the canon makes it very clear. He rode them both. 
Now, if you're going to change a nation, we often think that you go to the seat of the government. And Jesus rode in on this day. It was the 14th day of the month when the, when the sacrificial lamb is chosen. And Jesus knew the day that he'd done it. He knew what the symbolization was behind what he was doing. And when he called for the donkey, he knew what he was doing. He knew that he was about to announce to the world, I am Jerusalem. I am your Messiah. Israel, I am your Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting on. I'm the one you've been longing for. And when he threw his leg over those animals and rode them in, I don't know how he did that, but he rode them both. And when he rode them in, he, he, was, showing, he was showing Israel, your Messiah has come. And the place erupted with excitement and agitation. His name had been been spread abroad. He was doing miraculous things. They believed he was a prophet and they were waiting for a Messiah for they were underneath the tyranny of Rome and they were looking for a king. They were looking for the anointed one, the one who had been anointed. And so this is where the natural Jew doesn't understand what you and I understand because they were looking because all of the kings of the Bible, starting back uh, with Saul, was anointed with oil. And when you anoint a man with oil, he becomes the anointed one. They didn't realize that the one that they was riding into the city is uh, not just an earthly king who's coming in to th overthrow the tyranny of Rome and to set you free so that you could once again be become a sovereign nation without some other nation's thumb on you. That's what they were looking for. That's why they were agitated. That's why they were excited. And what they missed was the fact that this was God's plan. This was the Messiah sent from God. This was the true Messiah, not the many that had tried this trick before. This was the one who truly was prophesied about. This was the exact one that God had in heart and in mind all along and now they have reached the kairos moment the right now moment when that prophecy is being fulfilled and as he threw his leg over both the donkey and the foal he was riding in letting them know the messiah has come but he didn't ride to the palace of herod he didn't ride up to Pilate's palace. He didn't ride to the place of governmental overthrow, even though the Bible describes on all of the prophetic utterances about the Messiah that upon his shoulders rests the government of God. On his shoulders rests the governments of the world. And so they were looking for a man anointed. But what they didn't realize is they were getting a man who was God, a God man, a man who had laid his deity aside and came to pay the penalty of what Adam had lost 
in the garden. He was coming, riding in to let him know your hope has come. Your hope has come. Your day of uh, your day of darkness is over, for the light has come. And he rode in triumphantly on that donkey and that foal, but he didn't go to the palace for governmental overthrow. He rode to the place where only the only place that a nation can be changed. And ladies and gentlemen, where a nation is turned and changed is in the house of God. You cannot legislate morality. Oh, but you can preach and bring the conviction of God. And when God touches a heart, when God touches a life, the morality that once was twisted and broken and backwards will be turned, and it will be turned in a heartbeat. All it takes is one encounter with the master, one curing of the healer. When the healer touches you, your sickness and degradation is gone in an instant, and you can now walk out free because whom the sun sets free is free mm, I heard that's like saying sick him to a junkyard dog Whew. so they were waiting on the long awaited Messiah but I love what he did was because when he rode in he rode in <laughs> right to the temple. He says, let's just, let's just get this in right order now. And as he stood there, he meditated, created a whip. Oh, man, I love it. You got to love this, Jesus. If you don't love this, if you want that wimpy, hollow cheek, tip through the tulips, scratching little children on the head and and, and reaching down and playing with your puppy dog, Jesus, you're welcome to him. But that's not the God I serve. I serve a God that can right what's wrong. I serve a God who can can fix the things that have been broken. I serve a God that can heal the incurable. I serve a God that can raise life out of death. I serve a God when he walks into the room, heaven pays attention. When he walks into the room, earth pays attention because he has the power of both heaven and earth and he's the anointed one. And they saw him as an overlord, but what they didn't know is he is the Lord. Don't get me started. And so the first thing he does is he goes to the temple and he, he I just love him. I love him. Pow! He kicks over the tables. He flips them over. Animals are running everywhere. There's chaos in the house. Everybody's nervous. No one knows what's going on. The chief priest, he's probably going, oh, my, my, my. And the people that followed him into the temple are going, they're going, he is doing it. He's doing it. 
It's an overthrow. It was an overthrow. It was an overthrow of the old religious system that could not help a man. It was the overthrow of the law. It was an overthrow of the one who could fulfill the law. Come in and stand in your stead and say to God the Father in the courts of heaven, my child is under the blood and they are forevermore free. Oh, I love that moment. Everything is scattered. Everything's confusion. Everything's upside down. And yet put in perfect order. Put in godly order. Put in godly order. <laughs> and then, immediately, the moment the house was in order, are you listening to me? The moment the house was in order, boom, people showed up and said, pray for me. Pray for me. I couldn't get nothing out of these deadheads. Pray for me. I couldn't get nothing out of the pomp and circumstance of these deadheads. I couldn't get nothing out of the readers of the law. I couldn't get them lawyers to stop being a lawyer long enough to see my need. Would you pray for me, Jesus? And he did. And what I love about Jesus is he is a suddenly, right now, God. And what I love about his moment in the temple, when they came, boom, they were healed. Immediately, right then. And here's the thing last week that I brought to your understanding and to your attention. And hopefully I can catch up here because I had some people say they were taking notes last week and couldn't catch up with everything. He comes in. He kicks over. He causes chaos. He drives them out. He throws their money out behind them. Or maybe put it in treasury. I don't know. Maybe he kicked them out and took the offering. I don't know. Here's what I know. He threw them out. He caused all this uproar. And then he had a healing service. And people were being healed. And it was miraculous. And so far he'd had no kickback. Listen to me close. When the kickback came was when the youth... When the young people started going, Ooh, Messiah, this is real. This, do you know what the younger generation is waiting on? Something real, something tangible. The same God 
who created the heavens and the earth is the same God alive and well in us today. The same God, the same Jesus uh, who healed the sick and the blind and the lame and the whole is still working in in the miraculous today. And the young people are just waiting for someone to step up and show them the way. And some of you have noticed over the last few weeks, our colleges are being invaded by the presence of God. God is moving in. And it won't be long until that starts moving into the high schools as well. I'm believing that the school systems of America again will know the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be his name and his books that we are dealing with in our school and not this degradation that we're dealing with now. The lawyers of the law had no problem with cleaning the temple. They probably didn't like some of them shysters either. They didn't mind a miracle here and there. Just keep it orderly. But what really torqued them off, what got them mad, what upset them was the youth, the babes, the children. From the youngest to the oldest caught the fire of God. And something on the inside of them said, this is the Messiah. And they begin to shout. And they begin to praise. And they begin to magnify. And they begin to glorify. And they were crying out, Hosanna, save us. Save us, save us. And those old pompous religious windbags of the past were standing back offended because none of the youth could get rallied underneath them. Couldn't have a good youth movement with them because they were so busy spouting off the the don'ts, the don'ts, the don'ts, the don'ts. When Jesus came in and said, look what you can do. Boom. And when he did it, the whole youth exploded in a worship in the temple. And that's when the religious pompous windbags made a stink. They couldn't stand it, not because he cleansed the temple, not because people were healed, but because the youth were caught up in the fire of revival. And then, when those pompous windbags said something, Jesus said, shut up, leave them alone. Shut up and leave them alone. Don't you understand? Don't you understand you can't quiet them? It's been prophesied. It's been prophesied that in the last days, in Joel, the second chapter, 28th verse, I will I will." pour out my spirit and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Mm. So Jesus is declaring with the two donkeys that a multi-generational move will sweep the earth until the time of his return. He is using the older, more established donkey and that young foal that is not yet broken, not bridle trained, wild as a march hare, and yet God can use them. So let me run down through this as quickly as I can. My goodness, long-winded preachers, clear at 10 after. What is wrong? It's time change. Thank you. I love excuses. Give me good excuses. I love it. Love it. 
See, now, if you were sitting here, it's only 11 o'clock yesterday. I'm making room for you at the restaurant. Stick with me, if you will. I'm going to follow some notes that I did last week just a little bit here, and then I'll finish this up. He's, he gave the world a sign by riding those two donkeys. He gave the world this sign. One is older, a more settled generation. They dream dreams. They know the word. When they dream a dream, they can interpret the dream because they've walked with God long enough. They know the word and can preach and teach the word. They have a deep and practical wisdom. Not just about the word, but about life. They have deep faith in the face of trouble and hardship because every one of them have had to come through it. They are elders without which the church would be chaotic if we just turned it over to the younger generation and just let them run wild, there would, it would turn into a wild free-for-all. And we'd have little donkeys kicking their heels up all over the place in here. And, and I want it. I want their energy. But sometimes there needs to be direction. And this older generation, they are desperate, desperately needed in times of uncertainty for stability because we faced some uncertain things. But the other is a youth movement. Come on, get with me now. The other is a youth movement. They have visions because they can see a future that we are limited in. I know. I'm years old, and I'm not going to be here all that many more years. But coming up behind me, coming up behind me, Coming up behind me. Come on. Coming up behind me. Come on. Coming up behind me. Coming up behind me. Come on. Coming up behind me. Coming up behind me. Coming up behind me. Is a generation that can see further than I can see. A generation that's young and youthful and strong, and they can see a tomorrow I cannot see. They are evangelical. They have no problem sharing their faith with their friends. They bring energy to the worship in the house. We got young ones up here sometimes that do the worm, and I've heard people criticize that. And you know what I say? I do like Jesus. I kick over their tables like shut out that praise will get orderly when God's ready for it to be orderly but right now if I could do it with him I would but if I did the worm brother there would be cracking, popping. Somebody think somebody was pouring Rice Krispies in the back of the room. And then I would need the medical attention of those in the house who have medical expertise. So they have visions. They are evangelical. They bring energy to worship. They bring energy to faith because children believe. They don't fight through all of the natural that you and I fight for. They believe. When Noah's daddy was a little boy, 
He had trouble at night. Nightmares would mess him up and get him nervous. And he'd, he'd come to the room, and I would get up out of bed, and I would walk up and down the hallway with him, and I would pray with him until he would calm and be able to go to sleep. And I did that for several nights in a row, but then one night he came to the door. And as hard as this was for me, I said, Emmanuel, you're going to have to learn that you have authority over this situation. You don't always need dad. You have Jesus. And Jesus has given you all the same power that your dad has. And he would run up and down the hall. You could hear him praying. He was binding that devil, telling that devil, shut your mouth, leave me alone. And he'd run back and forth in that hall. And pretty soon, I heard it quiet down. And I heard him crawl back into bed. And he slept the rest of that night. He did that for two or three nights in a row. And after that, that boy never once again got up out of that bed. Never once again had a problem. Leave me alone. I got to finish. This generation, they will. No, you're not with me. You, you can't even handle what I'm about to say. This generation, they won't wear a sissy-looking sweater like pastor's got on. That his wife bought for him. <laughs> They'll work miracles because they have faith in God. Mm. They'll get people healed. I have young ones in here that sometimes describe in great detail an angel they have seen. I'm in my 60s. I'm going, Lord, I would like to see an angel one time. But I believe them because they can tell me in such great descriptive detail where they are, what they saw, and what they did. God uses that kind of faith in a powerful way. They are filled with zeal and expectation. Then I'll only want to do something for God, they expect him to do it. Where you and I would sit around going, well, didn't happen right away. Gosh, I've prayed for that person three times. They'll go, done, boom, walk away. Like a foal, they are unbridled, this generation. More apt to be flighty. A little less sure-footed or grounded. But God loves them and their energy and what they bring to his movement. He will not do without. He will not do it without them. That's why he rode two donkeys to the temple that day. So Passion Church, I said this very same thing last week. I'm going to say that very same thing this week. So Passion Church, we have to work together towards revival. According to Jesus, it is a multi-generational revival, and neither group can do it alone. I'm going to throw this out. I'm just, here we go. Here we go. Another, another rabbit trail. But I have watched myself, been in the church 
50, over 50 years, many, many more years than that. Been in the church, and I've watched as the older generation always pushes the younger generation aside so they can do church. Put them in a classroom, run them off in a corner, don't let them have a say. And then expect them to turn out as adults excited for Jesus while we squelched them. You got that for free. But in Passion Church, we have a different heart. We fan the flame behind our young people. They do the plays. They do all the neat stuff around here. They can preach. I could throw this mic to one of these youth. They'll get up and preach. In fact, we're going to be doing some of that. You young people better be ready. So, Passion Church, we have to work together towards revival. According to Jesus, it is a multi-generational, and he won't let either group get out of it. Older Christian, do not hinder the younger, more enthusiastic generation. Are you hearing me? Love them. Be patient with them because they're a little more flighty than you. They do things in a manner you wouldn't do. They haven't learned some of the things that you have learned. You've got to be patient with them where they are, but fan the flame in them. It's okay to bring a gentle correction, but don't kill the life in them. Let them carry the message of Christ. We're almost done. Look at your neighbor and say, that long-winded guy. Love them. Be patient with them. Offer gentle guidance. But most of all, come on, generation, older generation, pray for them. They are the energy that Jesus needs that is drained from us from the years of living. So cheer them on and fan the flame of Christ in them. To my youth, listen to me closely. Lean in. Listen to me. This is your generation. We're not waiting for your generation. Your generation is here. Your generation is now. You're not waiting for 20 years from now to be the forerunners in the church. You're the forerunners now. You're the forerunners now. Now. Now, buddy, now's the time. This is your time. This is your time. So, go get them. Go get your friends. Go get those that you associate with. Go get your neighbors. Go get those that are around you. Go get them. Go get them. Go get them. Go get them. Bring them to the house of God. Go get them. Go get them where they are. Sing louder than everybody else in the house. Pray more fervently than anybody else in the house. Dig deeper in the word. Use the gifts that God has given you. Don't be intimidated by non-believers. Don't be intimidated by those around you or your friends. Preach the word in due season. Above all, be teachable. Learn from some of us older folk. Sit down, ask us questions. We'll tell you. We'll share with you out of the word an answer if you're looking for it. Stir the gift of God within you. I borrow that from the Apostle Paul as he spoke to the young minister, Timothy. 
Stir the gift of God within you. Stay in God's presence in a spirit of humility. Let us older Christians help you with how to face what life will throw at you. Things like relationships, marriage, children, finances, household order, and how to keep your love with God and his people alive and well in you. Hmm. So to my foal, colt, young generation, <laughs> may God bless you and you run into, lay hold of your destiny in God and do not let this world intimidate you away from it. I had something all new to add today. I will forego that for time constraint. But to my old donkeys, <laughs> to my older generation, let's not do what every other generation has done. Let's not get stubborn and sit down on these young people and say it's our way or no way. No, let's explore with them the things that the Lord shows them, the revelations that God gives them. I'm going to a movie this week to just kind of sit in on some things that I kind of drew a line on in my own life because it got perverted and got taken out of context and got misused and abused. But there's a young generation that's being brought into that revelation. I want to make sure that I'm not just sitting around being grumpy. I don't want to be an old donkey that's stubborn. I want to be a loving, caring beast of burden that will take upon my shoulders the ability to help the next generation. I want to be equally yoked with this young generation so that I can give them guidance and, and the uh, benefit of my understanding while they use their new youthful strength to get the job done for Christ. Can you say amen to that? So let's don't get stubborn. Let's cheer them on towards destiny's finish line. Can you say amen? Father, we thank you for the reading of your word today. We thank you for the message that you laid upon this old worn out pastor's heart. God, I just pray right now that even though this is the second time some of these folks have heard some of these same thoughts and concepts, Father, that we would not miss the revelation, Father, that there's a multi-generational revival that's about to happen. It's springing forth. In fact, it's already got pockets around our nation and around the world, Father. I keep seeing videos pouring in from all over the world, Father, where there's a movement of the power and the presence of God. And every place I see it, it is a multi-generational, multi-ethnic uh, blending, Father, of the people of the house of God. And Father, you're doing something in what we feel to be the fleeting, last fleeting moments of time before you come to set Israel straight. God, we believe and trust, Father, that there's still souls hanging in the balance. We want to go after those souls 
souls, Father, before it's everlastingly too late. And we thank you, Father, that you've got two generations sitting in this building today. In fact, Father, there's a multi-generational group sitting in this building today. And we collectively together can carry out your mission hand in hand, arm in arm, cheering each other on and fanning the flame in each generation. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Father, that our community is about to change. We thank you, Father, our region is about to change. We thank you that our city hall is about to change. We thank you that our school board is about to change. We thank you, Father, that, that, that the businesses in this community are about to change. We thank you, Father, the library is about to change. We thank you, Father, the parks are about to change. We thank you, Father, that wherever we put our foot according to the word of God, it is ground that belongs to the kingdom. And so, Father, we, the kingdom dwellers, like those in Matthew the 25th chapter. We are the wise. We have trimmed our lamps and we are lighting the way to the marriage supper of the Lamb before it's everlastingly too late. And we thank you, Father, for the power to carry this message strong and loud and powerful into this world in the face of this topsy-turvy antichrist spirit. It will again be turned unto Christ. We give you the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your patience today. Just real quickly before we leave this room, is there anyone in this place and you've never had the opportunity to say yes to Jesus? You've never had the opportunity to go all the way with him. Whether you are of this younger generation or the older generation, but today you would like for me to take a moment to pray with you. If that's you, would you signify by the raising of your hand, just say, pray with me, Pastor. Anyone? How many by the signifying of your hand, by the raising of your hand, would say, Pastor, would you say the final amen? Let us out of here so we can head to the restaurant. Excellent. That is a complete unison in the building right there. Father, we thank you for these. I ask, Father, that as we go today, help us keep this message alive in our heart. Father, help us to, to go forward and to do and carry out the commission of Jesus Christ. As we leave, Father, I pray a blessing on every soul under the sound of my voice on this side of the building, on the other side, and let them, Father, know that the hand of God in blessing is resting upon their life. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, get out of here. <laughs>